Welcome to the Essential HR Podcast, where today we spend time with Mike Wargo, Chief Operating Officer at Center for Hospice Care, and discuss HR topics and trends facing today's nonprofit organizations. This program is not intended to constitute legal advice and is for general educational purposes only. If you do need legal advice, please contact your own attorney. Good afternoon and welcome to the Essential HR Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Gorman, here today with a good friend of mine, Mike Wargo, um, Chief Operating Officer at the Center for the Hospice. Uh, thank you, Mike, for um, taking the time to uh, be on the podcast. Looking forward to our conversation. Um, and wanted to get started maybe talking about your background. I know you've been in HR a long time. Maybe for the audience, talk about how uh, you got to be into HR and maybe what led to your role today. Okay, sure. Be happy to. So I, um, going back, oh, shortly after I got out of college, would have been 1982. Uh, if you might recall, there was a little recession going on back at that time, 81, 82, and uh, nobody was getting jobs. It was amazing. Um, you know, we go to college for four years, and back in those days, you know, the belief was you go to college, you get a job, a good job. Mm -hmm. And uh, that all got, you know, that, that was a myth that got dispelled pretty quickly then uh, at that time. So I ended up, uh, I went in the Air Force and uh, I somehow got into what we then called personnel work. Um, and I ended up uh, stationed for the, the bulk of my time uh, at Isleson Air Force Base, Alaska, Fairbanks, Alaska, I was there about three and a half years. Mm. And uh, I, uh, was running the uh, classification and training unit and then the uh, performance assessment area. And I ended up getting uh, an opportunity to go work for the Alaska Air National Guard to start up a new um, a new unit of the Alaska Air National Guard there at Ileson. And so I um, went there as a personnel manager and we started uh, we started hiring people from all over the country and I, I got I got very immersed in recruiting and in uh, you know, all aspects of human resources. So uh, when I got out, I came back to the area. I started teaching. I taught at Ivy Tech uh, for a couple of semesters and then ended up at Michigan College as the, the uh, uh, chairman of the business education programs there okay. and taught management courses. And then I got into, I realized you're not going to make much money in the, um, in higher education or an education in general, uh, at least not uh, back at that time. And so I uh, had an opportunity to go work for what was then called Midwest Commerce Bank, mm -hmm. and then went through a number of iterations and it's Chase Bank these days in Elkhart. And I had a chance to go there and worked in human resources, was human resources officer there, and ended up at Valley American Bank as the uh, director of uh, training and development, and then moved on from there to um, Quality Dining, where I was the Vice President of Human Resources uh, back at the time when we were still privately held, uh, which would have been in, uh, let's see, uh, 90, 80, uh, I'm, I'm losing track of the year, back in the uh, uh, early 90s, let's put it that way. And sure. uh, was there uh, for about six years. We went public during that time and uh, went from having a couple thousand employees when I started to about 12,000 employees across the country. We were in 40 states. And so I was very involved in a lot of 
different kinds of human resources uh, aspects that I had not really had much exposure to before. Mm. Uh, so it was, uh, it was interesting. It was a wild ride and uh, I enjoyed it. And then I started a company called Career Transitions uh, and uh, along the way ended up becoming a partner in uh, Electronic Commerce Incorporated and we had a business called Employee Management Professionals. Uh, we had a payroll division, we had uh, human resource information systems and Brian, you know all about that because you were you were our guy. That's where we met. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> so we were very involved in that. And then along the way, I think um, we all decided to kind of go our separate ways and uh, sold off the payroll division. I ended up going to um, uh, taking the human resources consulting practice as well as the insurance division, mm -hmm. uh, ECI insurance services. And um, I took over those, those businesses and uh, others took on other things, and I uh, worked for about 10 years then and on my own, uh, mm -hmm. or in, in business, I should say, uh, as uh, doing a variety of different things. It was about real estate development and continued to you know, work in the human resources field. I sold the businesses to, to the employees back in, in 2006, 2007, okay. and um, I had been involved with Center for Hospice Care uh, for many years as, uh, serving on the personnel committee initially and then on the board and was board chair uh, for a couple of years. And then we founded the Hospice Foundation in 2007. And after about a year, the conclusion was reached that we needed somebody on a full-time basis to run the foundation. And so I was asked if I'd be willing to do that. And uh, I, so that's what I've been doing ever since. So um, uh, going on 13 years of doing this full-time Spent about 10 years before that working with the organization, though, from a volunteer standpoint. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of how I ended up. Um, that, that's my journey. And, yeah. you know, I think that the sum total of all the things that I did over the years uh, helped me to get to the point where I'm at right now and doing what I'm doing. Sure. Uh, I was involved in real estate development. I was involved in human resources. I was involved in uh, fundraising for various not-for-profits and, I've been, you know, I was involved in a lot of different things, uh, worked in the banking industry. And so a lot of what I've been doing over the last uh, 13 years is um, working out arrangements to, to, buy, to buy property, uh, to build buildings, working with architects and engineers, uh, which I have always loved doing, and uh, working with office interiors and Vista AD integration on mm. uh, some yeah. projects. Uh, and so I think Rob Myers, who's the who owns Office Interiors, he and I one day figured out we I think we've done like 18 projects together over wow. uh, the last 25 years. We first met when I was in Quality Dining. So, uh, but anyway, so it's been fun working with a lot of different people in the community um, in different ways in, from different uh, perspectives. And so the all the relationships that I built over the years, I've been able to you know continue to maintain and. Uh, those have been very helpful to me as I've been uh, trying to build the foundation. We, we went from uh, zero assets in 2007 to we're almost at $60 million in assets wow. uh, now. And uh, built the Elkhart campus uh, initially in 2008. That was one of my first projects. And then uh, raised the money and built our uh, current campus here in Mishawaka, which is along the banks of the St. Joe River. Yeah, and we occupy, we've got about six acres here 
and uh, 11 acres over in Elkhart. So uh, it's been fun doing that and yeah. working with the people to get the places built and raising the money and working with people in the community. And I've got a great staff uh, that I work with here. And so it's, it's been really good. That's awesome. And just a wealth of, of information and um, wisdom and, and um, uh, really excited to have you, have you on today. And I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, you know, nonprofits and how they're handling the, the current state with the with COVID-19 and what's going on in, in our, in our business world, uh, how it's been kind of turned upside down. But um, I thought, you know, from a nonprofit standpoint, what are some of the challenges that you are facing given what's going on? Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're very fortunate. Um, we've, we've been around for 40 years, uh, caring for patients for 40 years. <clears throat> And their families and uh, so we're kind of a known commodity uh, the funding that we receive comes from three different sources Medicare Medicaid and private health insurance and so we have a steady stream of income from from those sources yet we still we give away about uh, last year we gave away 2.6 million dollars in services and which is where the fundraising aspect comes in. And so we have to raise that money uh, or operate from a, you know, if you have a positive net gain, if you're running your business well, there's always a positive net gain there that you can put toward that as well. Mm -hmm. So we've been really fortunate that we've been able to continue to uh, operate uh, basically business as usual. It really has not impacted us from that standpoint. What did impact, uh, what has happened over the last, uh, few months since the, the pandemic started back in, I think it, we, we started having some people work from home back in March. I don't remember the exact date, but I know that um, anybody who could work from home, we had them working from home. Uh, of course, we're caring for patients and their families. Um, it's, had, it's had an impact on uh, the way we care for them, the way we deliver the care. Sure. Sure. A lot more telehealth, telemedicine. Thank God for Zoom and uh, iPhones. And, yeah, uh, like sure. that, we're yeah. able to stay in close communication with people. So we've been we've been really fortunate that it hasn't really hit us that badly. Um, unfortunately, though, I do know of a lot of not-for-profit organizations that are really struggling. Mm. Uh, donations are down. Uh, they're not able to necessarily deliver the their services uh, to 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 their constituents uh, for a variety of reasons. Of course, people, people are fearful of, of uh, people coming into their homes. Sure. And um, so it's, it's, been, it's been a challenge, I think, for a lot of not-for-profits. And I, I saw some statistics recently that said that if this continues to go into you know, in the middle of next year, probably half of the not-for-profits in the country are, are not going to exist anymore, or they'll exist in a different way. They'll right. find partnerships. And, you know, I, I, I anticipate that we'll start seeing some mergers um, of organizations that have similar missions mm. that are complementary missions anyway, so that they can, you know, continue to do what they do and, you know, hopefully do it even better. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been tough uh, for a lot of organizations. No, absolutely. And uh, so, and you mentioned funding resources. How are those being handled? Um, I mean, so from your perspective, um, do you see 
for you guys an increase in, in that at all or more uh, more of a decrease or is it kind of status quo uh from a fundraising standpoint? yeah 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 you know from a fundraising standpoint we've uh i have to you know, knock, knock on wood we've had a we've had a good year mm. um you know is it where it was last year no but it's uh, i think we're, we're doing pretty well relative to a lot of uh my colleagues that are out there that are running other not-for-profit organizations. Um, we have, uh, we had a campaign that we wrapped up last year. It was a five year, $10 million campaign. We wrapped it up, uh, the end of, uh, of 2019, mm -hmm. you know, glad, glad we, right. <laughs> one. Um, and we raised $14 million during that, uh, for, during that five year period. And so we, um, we're, we're seeing, you know, we have, we have a lot of pledge payments. People are making all their pledge payments. We haven't had anybody renege on uh, pledges that they've made. That's great. And, uh, I think, you know, from that standpoint, it, it's, it's been fine for us. Uh, there are things that we are not doing, unfortunately, that we normally would be. Uh, we normally would have a number of different events that have either been canceled or postponed. Sure. Uh, our single biggest uh, fundraiser uh, of the year is our Helping Hands Award Dinner. Yeah. And, um, we had uh, doing that for 35 years, and this is the first year that we're not able to hold that event. So we're carrying it into next year. So we had a two-year uh, recipient, mm. um, and uh, Rafat and Zareen Ansari are oh, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. recipients of our award. Uh, they've been great collaborators with us over the years. Um, and Michigan Hematology Oncology has been very, um, we've, we've had great synergistic relationship uh, for many years. And they, they've just been wonderful people in the community. So we're very happy to be able to honor them uh, with the award this year. Right. Uh, we weren't able to have the event. So sure. uh, they're going to be our first ever two-year recipients. So we're carrying <laughs> it over to next year. Next year. Sure who had already uh, uh, made a pledge or had uh, signed on to be a, one of our sponsors, we said, okay, you get to be our two-year sponsor. So you get the benefit of, you know, your, your dollars stretched even further. Uh, so we have, but we'll, we'll, that, that event actually last year in 2018, I say last year, 2019, uh, we raised uh, over $400,000. Wow. So there's $400,000 we didn't raise this year. Wow, that's fantastic. Uh, we'll be going into, you know, next year, and hopefully we'll be able to achieve that once again. But, you know, um, I don't know how long this, no one knows how long this is all going to last. And right. we just roll punches and, you know, try to make our best judgment call when we get to a point where we have to say go or no go on various things. So we just opened our new Ernestine M. Racklin house, uh, which is our new 12-bed inpatient unit. Uh, here on our Mishawaka campus. And so that's a, a real positive. Wow. Uh, that's that, great. Uh, we have, have that open. And we'll be working now on, um, we operate a program called Milton Adult Day Services. And Milton Adult Day is located right now across the street from the South Bend Clinic um, on uh, Colfax. And we're, we're going to be relocating that operation to our Roseland facility. So where we've had a, a seven bed inpatient in an office building uh, for gosh, 20, 25 years, uh, we're going to be uh, essentially gutting it and creating a new Milton Adult Day Services uh, program there. So we're really excited about that. 
and we'll be starting uh, demolition on the interior of the building here next month. Uh, start on construction in uh, December. Wow. And so, so that's another big fundraising initiative we have uh, in front of us during the upcoming year and uh, a challenge for us, but that's, it's all, it's all good. No, I, you're absolutely right. And you mentioned the events in your, in that's so true because you're right. There's so many events that we used to go to dinners could, we could go to and they just have shut down uh, completely. Right. So there's just that, that fundraising opportunity isn't, isn't really there. Um, but what have you seen maybe in your nonprofit circles, what have you seen maybe nonprofits do from a fundraising standpoint that um, has been maybe kind of unique or different given circumstances that we're all in today? You know, uh, I know a lot of organizations have been doing virtual fundraising events okay, and uh, silent auctions and um, they've been doing, you know, the online auction type approach. And then, um, you know, having an event, for instance, uh, St. Joseph Health System has had a event for years called the Secret Sisters uh, Luncheon. And they had it yesterday, but it was virtual. And I think there were only like 15 people uh, that were able to actually be there that were putting, you know, that, that spoke and did, did various things. So it was kind of like doing it um, in like the real event, but, and people would call in or dial in, or I don't, you know, they would, they would be able to see it online. Um, and uh, I think they raised, um, I, I don't know how much they raised, but I think they still raised money uh, for, from, uh, from the community for that event. Mm. Um, I've been, we've been, it's been suggested to us that we do something similar. Uh, we may do something with uh, maybe our athletic type events. We've had a walk for hospice for, you know, 30, yeah, 30 right. years. We had uh, Bite Michiana for hospice for 11 years. And uh, this year, of course, we canceled both of those events. And so we're looking at possibly doing something virtual where someone could, you know, walk, run, or ride for us. Uh, and sure. Just from friends, just like they normally would. And, uh, but they can do it at their own pace and by a certain time. And, you know, here's a route and, you know, come up with, you know, ideas. So we're, we're, we're working on some concepts. Don't know that it will go anywhere, but that is something we're working on right now. We are um, having uh, a couple of events that are non-fundraising events. They're more um, stewardship events that we've held in the past in person. We're going to be doing those virtually this year. We have a Gardens of Remembrance and Renewal at our Elkhart campus. Hmm. And every year people donate bricks and benches and trees uh, in memory of their loved ones. And so rather than have an in-person event, we're going to do that virtually. Oh, cool. Same thing with our Veterans Memorial here on our Mishawaka campus. Yeah. Every year we have, a, you know, we have a speaker and we usually get, you know, somewhere between, you know, 80 and 120 people uh, for that event. We've had more, more than that at various times in the past, but um, we're going to do that virtually as well. So it's like, it's like being there, but not really being there. Sure. <laughs> no, absolutely. And I don't, I don't know how that would work long-term. Um, I, I personally wouldn't want to do it that way long-term because right. um, I, I like the personal interaction with people. Right. I think, you know, a lot gets missed because you're not around others and you don't have that, the, you know, the, the excitement that you can have when, when you're around others that are excited. You know? And I think that's one of the things that I think has been difficult through this pandemic is people haven't been able to get together. Right. And, 
as you mentioned, Brian, you know, there's lots of events in the community and, you know, we've always been supporters of, of uh, many organizations that extend our mission to improve the quality of living. And uh, we've, so we're usually at at least 15 or 20 events each year. Nothing, you know, right. nobody's right. doing anything. So, and you see a lot of the same people uh, at a lot of those events. You do, yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of people you saw fairly regularly that you're not seeing at all right now. Right. And uh, unless you have a reason to call them or uh, you get to talk to them, but you know, how often do you have a Zoom conversation with someone uh, just to have a call, just to have a conversation. Right, right. <laughs> you know, I really, I miss that. I know that it was a challenge for us. We were out for nine weeks at the beginning of all of this. And after nine weeks, we said, okay, I think we can come back to the office. We developed protocols necessary to make sure that we were able to social, social distance, um, you know, the, the, the masks and gaiters and various things. Yep. That people uh, where so we have all those protocols built in and being a healthcare organization it's kind of natural people people wear masks anyway uh, oftentimes and but a lot of the administrative type folks don't and sure. so it's a, a learning curve for many of us and a reminder of what we should be doing and so uh, but the the isolation I think that people had during that um, nine weeks it was it took a toll on some people I think right. <clears throat> and I, I made it a habit you know and I think just from a human resources standpoint I think it's a good habit to try to dialogue with people uh, even though you can't uh, you know be in a room together to sure. figure out ways to do that and I really I love the zoom platform for those purposes right so during that time for that nine weeks, we literally every single workday, Monday through Friday at uh, 10 a.m., mm -hmm. we had a call together. And so we were all on the call. We were all, you know, it was, it was trying to make it fun. Uh, people would have different backgrounds. Um, you know, this is my office background. I mean, I'm in my office right now, but, right. you know, you're somewhere else and, you know, there's a, there's a blank wall behind you or there, you, you, you or maybe there's uh, your, your laundry's hanging back here or something, you know, um, <laughs> right. A lot of people see it. So people started using those virtual screens yep. uh, backgrounds. And so it became kind of a game with some people to say, Hey, I'm going to come up with a different one every day. And uh, I'm even going to dress the part. So that's cool. Yeah. That's it was great, kind of a great idea. Yeah. We're doing that. And, and we just touch base. We talk about what we've got going on. I think from a productivity standpoint, um, people were just as productive as they would be if they were in the office uh, because we really set people up with the technology. Uh, everybody had a laptop computer. Mm -hmm. Everybody had um, the same, you know, same type of equipment. Yeah. Uh, all of our files, we were fortunate that we had, we had moved to a cloud-based file storage system mm. for all of our foundation materials. So we had uh, all of the information was readily accessible as long as you had a good internet connection, sure. you could any file you needed. And uh, most of us took what we needed from our office, uh, you know, uh, actual uh, physical files, uh, so that we were able to continue to operate, you know, efficiently. So, um, that, you know, I don't think we missed a beat from that standpoint. But what we did this is the you know, that personal interaction. interaction. Sure. And, uh, but I think um, it's going to change the way that 
uh, businesses operate in the future. Right. I really think that's going to happen. Well, I was going to ask you, um, maybe to finish up, you know, what trends in HR are you, do you think are going to come out of this? And, and given what you've, in all of your experience and what you've seen and, and maybe know HR to be, you know, what, what do you think is going to happen and what do you see, you know, fast forward a year from now, what's, what does look different from an HR standpoint, what are HR managers doing uh, that they didn't do a year or two ago than they, they might be doing now. So what do you see, what do you see happening? Well, you know, I think that the, the days of everyone working from an office are probably gone. Hmm. Um, that everybody comes to the office and you just have a place to, that you, you can sit and you go, you come in eight o'clock on Monday morning and you're there and you leave at five o'clock and you're off you go. The, the world just doesn't work that way anymore. I think in general, we've learned that over the years, but the eight to five Monday through Friday, I think is probably, um, is gone, which I think is a good thing right. uh, personally, because I think that some people don't are not as productive at certain times of the day as others might be. Some people are morning people. Some people are, are night people. And sure. as long as people are being productive and accomplishing their goals, uh, and that's what it comes upon the managers to really establish verifiable uh, goals that you can um, help your staff achieve. And then you can measure their performance based upon the outcome. And that, I, I think we're, we're realizing that more and more now because we don't see people all the time. I mean, right. they're, not, they're not physically present oftentimes. Um, but I think a lot of positions, a lot of, uh, you know, sales positions, for example, mm -hmm. uh, the people you want out being out uh, and not sitting in the office, right. uh, it's like, okay, don't, you're not going to have a place to come. You know, you can come in for a meeting, but other than that, we want you out, you know, seeing people. And that might, you know, you're calling on clients, you're uh, calling on prospects. And, and I think that's, and, and, you know, I've talked to, I've got a friend of mine who um, owns an insurance um business and it's like uh, I don't need to be in my office I have all my files are uh, you know of accessible to me through all of my different um, uh, my different carriers everything everything's online you know every, right. I mean literally you're on the computer all day anyway in the office uh, and if you need to talk to somebody you just you know you just do this right. uh, I think that Microsoft teams and a lot of the other uh, products that are coming out now, if we learn how to use them effectively, I think it will increase productivity and at the same time uh, will will be beneficial because we won't have to um, have big office buildings anymore. We can right. operate a smaller office building. Now, I have friends of mine in, in that line of work who probably don't like that idea. Don't <laughs> sure. uh, but the reality of it is I think, you know, people are able to work from home. People are able to work if I, and they're, they're proven through this, this process, through this time over the last few months. Uh, my son works for Sony uh, down in uh, Nashville. He works for the music publishing division. Hmm. He hasn't been in the office uh, since March. Wow. And uh, he's been told he's not coming back till after the first of the year. And his entire group works from home. I don't think they missed a beat. And, right. right. Uh, but he said, I think I'm more productive from here because I'm not, you know, I don't have to be in there at a certain time uh, and fight the Nashville traffic. Right. Sure. The commute itself, he said, you know, I lost two hours a day just in driving back and forth. 
Sure. Uh, so, you know, from that standpoint, that's improved productivity. Um, it, as long as you feel like you can trust people to, to do what needs to be done, I think, I think that's going to be the, kind of the wave of the future, at least in the service industries. Um, now, the restaurant industry, uh, gosh, you know, I, I hope... I hope for the sake of the restaurant industry that this we, we get something going here before long that people are able to go back and, and they can be at 100% occupancy again. Or, right. Uh, because right now, it's I don't know how a lot of these restaurants are staying open. Sure. No, absolutely. Yeah. It's, absolutely. I know so many have closed. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Well, uh, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure uh, talking to you and known you for a long time and, and was really excited to have you on the show and, and uh, wish you nothing but the best uh, moving forward. So thank you so thank much. You. I appreciate thank it. You. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity. Thank you. Take care. All right. You too. Thank you for listening to the Essential HR Podcast. Be sure to tune in next week where we spend time with Greg Mackey from Pure Core Health and Fitness and discuss why it's important for your organization to have a wellness program.